Hey, I'm Kim Short, and it's time to get your podcast on. Welcome to What Led Her Here, exploring the defining experiences of women's lives. My guest today is Mary-Kate Medicine. Based in the UK, Mary-Kate is a mom of two girls and a shamanic astrologer whose work blends both ancient earth wisdom and the conversation of stars into, as she puts it, a comedic brew of sweet medicine for the soul, which I absolutely love. Her passion lies in helping women achieve peace and freedom by healing the past and living freely in the present. Mary-Kate and I met during a virtual course we did together, and when chatting over Zoom one day, it became clear we were meant to connect. Mary-Kate is open, honest, and very funny, as you will come to know, and I'm so happy to have you all here listening as she shares her story. Welcome, Mary-Kate. Thank you so much. What a lovely, lovely welcome. Before we dive in to the defining experience of your life, I would love to learn more about this famous coven that you do, because I know personally, I've been part of a lot of different communities of women over the years, but never have I ever been a part of a coven. So tell me what that's all about. (laughs) Oh my gosh, it's so wonderful to be part of a women's community. And that was actually something that I was part of, but not fully part of kind of growing up. So really the coven is only about a year old. We're quite fresh. So the coven is a group of women that are all very committed to their own healing and their own healing through releasing their ancestral pains and sufferings. A lot of it is very hidden. It's not always on the surface, but it does run through our behaviors, our thoughts, our feelings. And so the coven was born from a need of really this shamanic journey that I would take my one-to-one clients on. And I wanted to give this to a broader range of women and on a monthly basis through the moon cycles. would meet under the full moon and we would celebrate what it is that we had grown into that month. And then we'd also meet under the new moon. And in ancient societies, in indigenous cultures, there would be a red tent. And a red tent would be where the women would go to connect during their bleed. And so under the new moon, we do connect, meditate, share stories and emotionally support each other. But the coven is, it's like a bit of a secret society, really. What happens in the coven stays in the coven. And there's this bond between women's hearts that what comes up gets held, gets washed with our tears, gets loved. And we have a real good laugh about whatever it is that we're feeling pain around. And then we just enjoy each other's company and meet again under the next moon. It's a really refreshing, beautiful way to meet yourself through other women's eyes. Oh, I love that so much. It sounds like such a beautiful space you've created. It is really delicious because unlike other covens, the traditional covens that would maybe meet in the woods and cast spells and things like that, many of us are snuggled up in our beds. Some of us are um, just popping out of the bath. Others are by a beautiful warm fire. We're all in our own homes. It's really safe and very intimate. 
So it is the crowning glory of the last year, I have to say, over 2020. It has certainly helped me and helped many of the women in the coven feel connected to themselves and to something outside of what's been going on. That's so important, especially the last year. I love that you've reinvented the coven and done it virtually during this pandemic. It's a bit like a witchy sleepover. <laughs> we'll all meet and we'll do really beautiful meditative and shamanic journeys yet we'll all have a real giggle probably say some crass things some of us will have a glass of wine others a glass of cocoa it's come as you are all accepting there is something so so special about when women gather and even if it's virtually which is basically all we can do at this point but the fact mm. that you've given women this opportunity to come together like I said especially at a time like this when there's so much going on in the world and in our own lives I think that's really special I want to mm. be part of this coven you are more than welcome to come and join us wonderful one thing you said earlier that is, is sticking in my mind, so I want to say it, is you mentioned that some of the stuff that you talk about in the coven is sort of hidden within us, and we might not even realize it's there. We might not even realize it needs healing. Would you agree that a lot of that stuff, that trauma, that pain is hidden by design in our society, you know, because of shame, because of secrecy, we're meant to keep that stuff hidden and quiet and I love that you are giving women a space to crack that wide open because really it's when we do that, we can start that healing process, right? Absolutely. You can't heal what you don't reveal. And ultimately, if we are told there is nothing to heal, then we're not going to look at it. We're not going to acknowledge it. And yet within society, we have so much mental health problems and you know depression, anxiety. There's a myriad of ways that our body, our psyche will let us know that we're out of balance and that we require healing. But I agree with you. There is a design to keeping that under wraps, keeping the status quo and even naming the coven was a little bit of a taboo, you know, the coven. What does that bring up? Well, really ancestrally, it's just a group of women meeting and sharing and it's been given a definition that is occult and possibly a bit spooky and a bit scary and we don't want to go in there. And also the red tent, even naming that, there was some women and still now that will come in and say, well, what does the red tent mean? And we might feel embarrassed about speaking the reason the red tent existed, but yet it's a really natural part of being a woman to lead and to find a space to discuss things with other women that only other women can really help you with and can reflect back to you and understand. So I can see that ancestrally women have been very held in a certain space. And so we've been pushed into secret areas to discuss this and the shame and the guilt and the blame has grown through that process. Yeah, I like that you use the word taboo because there are a lot of things that have that attached to them, that certain connotation that we don't talk about them. And societally, there's these certain views on them, you know, whether it be a coven or whether it be, you know, just something that came up recently. I was talking to my daughters about nudity. We just happen to be talking about society's views on nudity, for example. And like a menstrual cycle, it couldn't be more natural, you know, instead of just continuing to accept 
all this stuff that we've been told all along is to just sort of question and to ask why we have these views. And do we agree with them? Or is it something that we want to change for ourselves, for our families, for our communities? And And it, it really has started to kind of come up with my own daughters. I have two beautiful daughters, age 10 and age six, and I'm not a single mum. I am a separated mum. So we co-parent, but I live with my daughters the majority of the time, the three of us in our home together. And so that really does give rise to us being a lot more feminine and open and discussing things. And certainly the way I was raised was not that way at all. And so I would keep things under wraps. There was a lot of shame and a lot of guilt and dirtiness almost around the way women would grow. And so I'm really working at opening that with my daughters so that they feel freer and they feel like there is no shame around what their body is doing and who they're becoming and how they're blooming and blossoming and preparing for life and that they actually get to see life in their own body as they grow. And lucky them, they get to see mummy's body too. I mean, (laughs) you know, they get to see the reality of it, the reality of a woman after childbirth, you know, which again is another taboo. What do we look like? Who are we after childbirth? So there's so much around that piece. Yeah. Oh, good job, Mama. I love that you're allowing them to be open and to see you and to talk to you about all of these things that were not really talked about in generations past. It's mm-hmm. so important. It's so valuable for them. And I'm the same way with my girls. I'm so open about all of the things. We touched on our childhoods. Given that I've come from this family lineage that women were not praised, they weren't goddesses. They were in the kitchen, they worked hard, they served the men, they were subservient in their mind to the patriarchal beliefs, this kind of dominating belief that men had a place and women would serve that place. It's subtly still there. And I find it in my own life everywhere. And I find it even through my own divorce, if I'm being completely honest, that I am now in my own home able to be completely free. And even I question myself sometimes because of the cultural prison almost that I felt growing up, very, very invisible, unspoken, these cultural rules of the family, cultural rules of our ancestors that we would keep quiet about certain things. And to ask about them in a naive, curious, childlike way is just that, naive and childlike and curious. And yet it hasn't really been that way. And so when we spoke, I discussed about the way that I was brought into a family where my parents were, let's say they were under a lot of stress, under a lot of anxiety around their own culture as well, their culture that they had been brought up into. And they didn't really understand how to bring a young girl into the world. And I suppose I'm learning now through my daughters how to be, how to be a mother and how to be a better daughter and how to be a sister to my daughters too, in a way. 
Yes. I love that you say that because I feel like I've had a very similar experience in that the things that I didn't know with my own upbringing, the the values that I didn't quite have, the skills and the tools that I didn't quite have, I have learned those through being a mom to my three daughters. So we have that in common, right? We're figuring it out so that hopefully they can learn these things sooner. I was just having that conversation again with one of my girls yesterday. And I was just saying to her, one of my wishes for you is that you see me evolving and Mm. you learn this stuff sooner than I did. So you're not in your thirties, still lacking confidence and still not realizing your own self-worth. So opening up that conversation and challenging, like you were saying that shit from her upbringing, right. And just having that open communication with our girls about it is going to set them up for a much easier path, hopefully than, Mm. than we had. I kind of want to say like, you know, I had a really fun upbringing as well, but it was like all of us, these things, these traumas, these kind of unspoken cultural rules are woven in so tightly that they're just a part of the tapestry of everyday life. We have this nature part of us that wants to be raw and excitable and be out there and experience the crazy rain and all the different things that go on in life. And when we're young girls, we want to experience touch and we want to experience love and all the things that come with that. Just like any young girl, yet growing up, I definitely felt like that was a power I was not allowed to play with. And I still tread a fine line now with my girls because I'm learning myself. How to give them the ownership of their power and, you know, the sexual power that we have as women, the sensual power that we have as women to own that and not to feel like they have to compromise themselves, but also to respect themselves. So it's a new culture we're, we're bringing these children into. You know, it's not the same as back in the 80s, you know, a couple of shoulder pads later. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's that's power. It's very, very different now. And I'm seeing my children very differently, just watching them grow and allowing them the freedom that I didn't feel I had to fully be self-expressed and yet to give them the right education that there is a place for it, which I don't think I knew. I think I was fawning around and my parents were like, wow, she's got a lot of power. We need to keep that power under wraps. And maybe they didn't consciously think that, but that's how it felt to me. And so I rebelled. I got very angry. I became very loud and very bossy because I wasn't able to channel my sensuality in healthy ways. I think that's probably why I do the work I do today because I need this work. And so I know if I do, there's many more of me out there that do too. That is so true because I think most of us have been brought up similarly where it was a controlling environment. Mm. They didn't know what to really do with us, our parents, right? Like, So when we expressed something that was deemed to be outside of that cultural or societal norm, it was like, oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. You need to suppress that or you need to quiet that down or cover that up. Yeah, I've had 
conversations with my girls around, you talked about sexuality, because I want them to realize like what we've learned is very much a male centric idea. You know, I want to blow that up. And it's like, well, what do you want? What are your boundaries around that? Like Mm -hmm. when you get to Mm -hmm. the age when you want to explore that with yourself, and and I do encourage them to explore their own, oh God, Mm -hmm. if they hear this, they will die. But like, But explore your own body. And when you get to that age, when you want to explore with someone else, then know what your own boundaries are, know what you're comfortable with, you know, be confident in that. And also talking about pleasure, because that's not anything that we talked about, (laughs) certainly not anything they teach in sex ed in school. So many things that would never have come up, but I want to talk about all of it. They cringe, but I'm like, no, we have to put it all out there. right? And it's the social media that's around at the moment as well is so easily accessible. So I feel like I want to give my children the freedom to discuss things in the home so that they're not getting their education from social media or from magazines, et cetera, because that's where I got mine from. My father is from the West of Ireland and he would be absolutely mortified if he knew for one minute that I was talking about anything to do with the SEX. What is that? You will be quiet. You know, absolutely mortified. And my mother was the mother of four children yeah, absolutely never had any sex education at home. It was just, you know, you might see something on the TV and go a little bit red and that was it. And interestingly, now it's very different because they're in the culture we are in too, as they've grown, they've kind of expanded a little bit in their consciousness, but it's still there. It's still smile for the stranger. You know, we want to make sure that everybody out there sees a veneer and a way that we are in accordance to the cultural norms that we've been brought up with. And whatever you do inside of here, don't let them know out there that you're up to it. And actually, I think that happens in every house. It must be every single house that has got some kind of veneer over the doorway. And so the coven we mentioned at the beginning is such a brilliant place for us to bring those norms out and share because it wasn't until I went to university and moved out of home. So I was well on my way to being a young woman by then that I realized how I was being brought up was different to other people. I just believed that this is the way it is for everybody. And to be more specific about that, my parents were very dominant And my mother was incredibly emotionally dominant. And it felt like we were in a workhouse sometimes rather than in a home. And I was the oldest and I'm the oldest of four. And I'm sure my parents would see it incredibly differently now and maybe wouldn't recognize my experience because having my own children, I realized that my mum was under an awful lot of pressure at a young age with four young children, with a husband that was working away from home pretty much Monday to Friday. And when he came home, he was too tired (laughs) to do anything else. And so at the time growing up, I didn't think that was any different. That was just the way I was being brought up. But as I moved into my older age and my broader consciousness, I started to see that I was being brought up in something that was very toxic, really painful. And I started to really rebel when I left home. 
and I really took a lot of anger out on my parents. And it's, as I said before, it's only now that I'm becoming a mother of two beautiful girls that I'm seeing my mother coming through me, who I am being in those moments when I am stressed, that the mirror comes back, that the ancestors come back and you get this compassion for yourself and for the mother, but also there's an embarrassment. You know, I'll never be like that. And yet actually what occurs is, and naturally what occurs is we are like that until we recognize that we're being the same way. It's natural. We were brought up in that environment. It's the way we're going to be. And so we get to recognize those patterns. And that's where I am at the moment in what I do is I recognize those patterns in myself and in other people, but only because I recognize it in myself. And we talked about offering that to the children. And one of my main aims in my life is to offer the freedom to the girls to be able to stop me in my tracks when I start behaving in a way that I don't want to behave in, yet it's coming through me almost like this train, this energy. And I think all of us recognize a part of that in ourselves one way or another. And it's powerful that we get to recognize where we have power, where we can be in pleasure, where we are in stress and where all of that has kind of come from and how we get to release it and move into a lot more freedom in our lives. And when I say freedom, I mean literally freedom of thought, freedom of mind, freedom of expression. So yeah, that's kind of where I am at the moment, wanting to be in freedom of expression. I can so relate to when you said you feel your mother in that sort of programming, right? From when you were a kid coming through you as you parent your daughters and how Mm. it is such a force. And it's taken me a long time to first, like you said, become aware of it because that's Mm. the first step, right? And then to be able to stop that in its tracks, which is so freaking hard because it is like a free train. How have you worked with your daughters and taught them to help you to figure it out in those moments of such high emotion. It's hard. You know, let's not pretend this is easy at all. The first step, I think, like you said, is awareness. The first step for me was I crossed boundaries and I felt shame. And it was the shame of the screaming at my daughters when they might have done something that was really not that bad at all in real life. And yet some kind of energy is coming through me that I wasn't able to cope with whatever was happening on the outside. And afterwards I would sit down and I would say to them, I'm so sorry. I do not know what's coming over me. I'm not sure how this is happening. I want you to know this is not your fault. And when mummy starts to kind of show signs of her voice raising or you feel a little bit intimidated or scared or worried, and this is exactly what I did, actually. I said to my oldest daughter, I said, just stand there and say, mummy, the angels are watching you. And that will stop me in my tracks because it'll soften my heart. And she has done it. She's done it a few times. You know, she's like, mummy, 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 the angels. And she's very quick because children are very quick to learn. And so now it's kind of moved into more of a conversation as she's grown older and the the younger one just watches and is part of the osmosis of kind of what's happening between me and my oldest daughter. 
And I recognize a lot of the pain in me, in her. I get to reparent myself through parenting her and I don't always do a good job of it. And so we get to have conversations about it. And like I said, it actually starts with embarrassment. It starts with, oh gosh, I said, I'd never do that. I wish I didn't do that. And then the humility of being able to take that to your child. My parents could never do that. And I still don't know until this day if maybe they did feel that after painful moments, violent moments, aggressive moments, emotional neglecting moments, where I would be on my own for a long time and feel really hurt. But now I don't want my children to feel like that because I've felt it before. So we go into conversation and there's a lot of me crying (laughs) and saying, you know, this is real life and mummy loves you and allowing them then when they feel angry and when they feel upset, when they feel hurt to have the moments to be able to actually say what it is that they want to say. I think what we feel in the moment is ancient emotion, childhood trauma emotion. And a lot of the time we either can't speak or we say things that are revealing of the real hurt that's underneath. So we want to put our pain outside of ourselves. And as parents, or I would say as children that are in adults' bodies, it's that opening of the conversation of what do you need? What do you need from mummy to feel like we really move into forgiveness with one another? And that's a big conversation to have with a six-year-old and a 10-year-old. Yeah, I love what you said about opening up that conversation. And I think it's important to walk them through sort of our emotional process so that they can understand it wasn't just mommy going from a little grumpy to like screaming her head off because that's what they see, right? But actually giving them the words. Once we've sort of calmed down and collected ourselves, we can go back to them and say, I'm sorry, this is what happened. I got frustrated because X, Y, Z, and then it escalated and I felt this rising in me. And then I did something that was inappropriate and I'm sorry, just so that they can understand that process and then they can express it for themselves because they need to know that those kinds of emotions are human, not kid emotions. They're not adult emotions. They are for all of us. And when they come up, it takes work to get them under control control, even if we are grownups, <laughs> right? Absolutely. It really does. And I think growing up, those conversations were not available to me. Me neither. It put me in a position where I felt like I wasn't able to openly own the emotion. And so the emotion itself became shameful. I basically became a bit of a bully. I was quite loud and aggressive and, and I could feel feel that that's not who I was. It wasn't who I wanted to be. And yet it was the only way I could express what was going on inside of me. And so I still feel shame when that comes into my daily life, because I know it's out of alignment with who it is that I really know I am inside this open hearted, giggly girl that loves to investigate and find out what's behind the story and why are we behaving the way we're behaving. And so I can see it in my girls now. Now, they're also investigative. They're curious. You know, why are we being this way? A lot of it is around this not being able to have the language for the emotion that we are feeling. 
And that's the power of language. I believe that the future lies in language. The future lies in being able to label what it is that we are feeling, what it is that we are thinking, and being able to then move into a conversation where we are having a dialogue with either ourselves, the mirror, or another person, and actually bringing these raw feelings, these raw emotions out into a page or out into a podcast like this that we can actively listen to ourselves and then go in and heal that little girl that's inside because ultimately that's the little girl that is crying for the attention, wanting to be loved, wanting to be held and wanting to be accepted. And ultimately all behavior is so that we will be loved one way or another. You know, and I want to say that this divine feminine revolution that we're in at the moment, we're now moving astrologically as well into this divine feminine area where the matriarchy is starting to remember itself. And it's only remembering itself through our daughters and we're getting to educate them. And so this is a really powerful incarnation for all of us, particularly with daughters because we've been through something that we get to clear. We get to heal. It's been for us, not to us. And we get to clear it so that we can educate our daughters to be the next matriarchs for their daughters and for their daughters. So this ancestral healing actually comes through us and clears all of the generations around us as we bring consciousness to our own pain, to our own healing, and then put language to it so that we can educate the future. I so feel that with my daughters, the universe sort of, you know, gave me three daughters so that I could heal myself, so that I could hopefully put them on a good path. And it gave me the gift of this women's empowerment passion that I I have and the confidence I've learned from being their mom to put that out into the world. So I really do yeah. feel like having them was no accident. They were given to me so that I could be on this mission. They yeah. are your power seeds. And it's like in my greater moments, Kim, in my much more spiritual grounded moments, I see that they are my mother, you know, and actually we've got it the wrong way around that I get to educate my mother while my children are educating me. And so whether it's over or covert, our daughters mother us just as much as we mother them. And when we look at it as this kind of current of information that's ebbing and flowing between us, there's less of a heavy responsibility. And there's also a curiosity from the mother, from the elder, to what can this brilliant, gorgeous, fresh life, newly evolved version of me teach me? Yes. Oh, I love that. So if you could boil the life lesson that you want to share down into a sentence or two, what would that be? How do you want to inspire our listeners? Be curious and even more, be curious with humor because there's nothing serious going on here as much as it is serious stuff. And I find that I have this very kind of serious part of me that wants to understand why me? Why did that happen to me? Why did I get all the flack? 
And yet there's this other part of me that was actually born from that, that wanted to be the entertainer and wanted to have more of my parents' love, my parents' affection, my parents' adoration. And so I became quite an entertainer. And actually putting both of those energies together, being curious and being humorous has created the woman that I am today. And it means that I can laugh at the pain. It still is painful, but I get to choose whether it's suffering or whether it is a divine comedy. And I get to star in my own divine comedy. And there are moments of melancholy, but still, I think if we can all approach our life in this humorous, curious way, and to see that everybody's just playing a role. Shakespeare said it, the world's a stage and all of us are players. Play, play, play and cast who it is that you want to cast as the characters in your life and look at them as multidimensional figures. Certainly growing up, my mother, and hopefully she'll never listen to this because she'll go crazy, but she was like a dragon. But as I grew I understood that that character had different faces, different dimensions, different availabilities for different people. And if she could be kind and sharing and open with one person, surely she's able to do that with me too. And although there was this curious energy around how was she being like that with them and not with me, actually I found that it was the same with myself and I'm sure it's the same with you and it's the same with all of your listeners. We are multidimensional. We are multifaceted and we're all multifaced. And we get to be different people, different personas in different connections with others. They bring out the best, they bring out the worst, they bring out the crazy. But it's you that gets to choose. You get to choose your perception of yourself and of others. And so be curious. Be curious what's underneath and allow humor to fill your day. Look at everything as a divine comedy because it truly is. Well said. So tell (laughs) me, what is next for you? What excites you about the future? Okay, I have just... Signed a book deal and I'm terrified. Yes, I'm terrified and excited all at the same time because I help women heal from their painful pasts. And yet I'm sitting down to write this book. And it's so interesting that we're having this conversation around kind of the mothering and around these past pains, because that's kind of what the book is going to be about. It's called Shite to Light. (laughs) Yeah, growing up in my house, there was a lot of shite. And there was a few other words that we used there too (laughs) to describe pretty much anything that would go on. And really, that is the job that we're all here to do. It's this alchemy job, you know, to shift our shite and to turn ourselves into light. This book is going to take me on a deeper healing process because only this week I've started to look at a screen and think, oh gosh, I need to fill that with words. And what words will I fill that with? And who am I going to offend? And how am I going to use my own wisdom and be curious and comedic all at the same time? And yet honor all the different faces of my mother, me and my daughter's 
and give grace to everybody's healing. So I'm excited about that. And I'm most excited about the healing that it offers myself and my family and the process that I get to offer that language is the future. That is so exciting. Yeah, I agree. That is going to be such an important part of your healing and the opportunity to really go deep and not only for yourself, but for your daughters and for your relationship with your parents is a real gift. So I'm so excited for you. Thank you. So are you ready to move on to the final five? Oh my gosh. Let's see how I do with the final five. These are the same five questions I ask of every guest. And the first one is, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? The first one that came to mind was to be invisible because I'm so nosy. I'd love to hide in conversations between people. I just love hearing the nuances and to understand maybe what's happening in government and to be able to find out what's happening in my ex-boyfriend's house right now. And also to kind of follow my kids around a little bit and find out what are they up to? (laughs) Do we really want to know? I'm not sure. (laughs) When you were a kid, what did you think you'd be when you grew up? I thought I'd be a fashion designer. I totally thought I was a fashion designer. I used to get those, I can't remember what they're called now, but they were like these design wheels where you could change the tops and the bottoms. And, um... Oh, I was destined for Coco Chanel, but no, but I I still draw, I still paint and I still wear some wacky things now and again too. (laughs) So you still have that creative outlet. I love being creative. I love being a little bit offbeat. Wonderful. I love that. Mm. If it were your last day on earth, what would your final meal be? I know that one for sure. It is Sukha Thai, which is my local Thai restaurant. Pad Thai. Oh, nice. something about it. And my mother will go mad because she does a fantastic Sunday roast. I mean, that is top of the list of a Roman Catholic Irish family. If you can't do a fantastic roast on a Sunday, you're wasted altogether. So she comes in a close second. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, who is a woman in history or present day you admire? I've got to say it. Maggie. Maggie Thatcher. You know, I grew up in the 80s in the UK when this was our first female leader and she was incredibly masculine in the way that she was because she had to be with the role that she was taking on and she got to make some really, really heavy decisions. I think she was given a bad rap because actually some of the things that she created or she allowed to happen gave freedom to so many people through entrepreneurship, through capitalism, And, you know, there was a big, big divide and still is in this country around that. But she certainly allowed the economy to boom. And I think where we're moving in terms of matriarchy, as grey as she was, as much as she was taken, you know, there was all sorts of stories about her and, you know, the, the Iron Lady. I think she really put women's leadership on the map. And we're now seeing governments taking women into powerful positions. She really put that first foot forward, I think. And last but not least, what is your favorite quote? Oh my gosh, it's got to be, where does the future lie? And who is that by? It's by my teacher, Rainbow Hawk. 
I had some incredible teachers that are indigenous Native American teachers that taught me about the wisdom wheels and the the earth wisdom that connects to sky wisdom. And I find still that even the modern teachers of personal development, the forerunners, the kind of the edge runners of therapy that are really out there on the edges of changing trauma and the alchemy within people's personalities and evolution of human consciousness, they still don't have the same gravity that the indigenous people had. And the way that they languaged healing, it was just more real, more earthed, more understanding. And they would say that your language reveals your paradigm. So how we use language reveals where we are. So although we can't see our matrix, we can't see the culture that we live in, our language gives it away to those that are discerning. So I really love that. And I work with that every day. Thank you so much for being here today. I loved our conversation. I loved it too. And I'm so grateful for this opportunity to express what's really starting to come through me. It's a really kind of, it's a beginning moving through this energy of understanding how we become mothers, why we become mothers and who our daughters are to us and how this matriarchy is going to be birthed through us healing ourselves and bringing consciousness and healing to our daughters. 